right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star is going to join us in about 35 minutes from right now. We'll talk high school football with Craig Hershiser in the 4 o'clock hour. Got our hypothetical of the week. And we've got some KU football player audio. We're going to do a draft of Halloween candies between the two of us. And uh, you might have heard from Mike Leach over the weekend. And some KU football players will weigh in as well with their favorite candies. Um, the Chiefs, this is the first time you've gotten to talk about this this week. You were out Monday. Uh, not Derek, so great over the weekend. I wasn't feeling well Monday, uh-huh. and I felt bad that I couldn't make it in because I was so excited to talk about it. Derek, the Chiefs shut the Titans out in the second half. Everything's fixed. No, not not so. Derek, Derek, I got another okay. one for you. Still lost 27-3. Derek Henry uh-huh. only had three yards of carry. <laughs> I mean, it's all looking up from here. The Chiefs, well, after looking at that stat line, they must be four and three, and everything <laughs> is going great. I mean, factual on the yards per carry thing, but no, unfortunately, they're still three and four. So they lost that they game. Still lost oh. and lost it rather badly, twenty-seven to three. Oh dear. Yeah, not great. And uh, now you get to a point. We'll talk about this more later in the show. It is going to be a tough path for them to get even to the playoffs because guess who has the number one hardest schedule by opponent winning percentage the rest of the way and it gets even worse if you take out the giants in the two games against the broncos <laughs> yes it get, and and look even if you look at those as uh even if you just chalk those up as guaranteed victories which nothing i think is a guaranteed no. victory at this point for this team but let's just say for the sake of argument those are three wins because they're, they're terrible opponents so let's say you grab that that puts you at six wins you need I think 11, but I would say 10. I think because you've lost so many AFC games, you probably need 11 to get a wild card. You just um, might. But maybe you the, don't have tiebreakers. Maybe the Raiders or Chargers trip up. But regardless, even if you need 10, those really bad teams get you to three. And when you take away, we get you to six wins, excuse me. And then when you look at, what do they have, seven games after that? So those seven teams are, like, really yeah, good, yeah. man. Like, yeah, real are. good. Yeah, so we'll talk more about that later on, I think, at the t- uh, top of the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, but I'm curious now, like, because we had the reactions Monday, so to speak. H- has Brett Veach, because a big part of finding the blame is when you move forward, like, who's going to be back? Who's going to be let go? Like, where do you clean house? And I'm not saying that's going to be the case for Brett Veach, but I think it's certainly a discussion at this point. And... As you go through the roster, like has has Brett Veach done anything really well outside of thinking Mahomes was going to be really good? But let's not forget that was still a John Dorsey pick. And I still wonder, and I'm not saying that Veach had nothing to do with it, 
but I really wonder if that was a big selling point that the, the, the team really pushed intentionally after they got rid of John Dorsey. And look, John Dorsey had his own issues. He was not good at um, at managing the cap. And with Brett Veach, I don't know if it's him being really great at managing the cap or him, um, his assistant, who everyone seems to be giving credit to. But he, regardless, Veach gets credit for that because he went out. If it's not him, then he went out and found that guy and gave him that job, and he gets credit for that. Um, but I, I tell you what, man, this is... I think people would be a lot more frustrated with him if, if not for this particular draft class, because at least we're seeing something out of um, Creed, Creed Humphrey mm-hmm. and Nick Bolton. Trey Smith, who was yeah. a late pick. We're seeing something out of these guys, but his player, I mean, his player acquisitions, the, the Chris Smith or Chris Jones, I still can't say it was an awful contract because they went to the Super Bowl again last year. And there's an argument to be made that they would have won if they had a healthy offensive line. But I don't know. That was the Chris Jones one felt so much to me like the reason that John Dorsey so often got up against it with the cap is because he would either not sign guys early when they were cheaper or he refused to walk on guys. It's what happened with Justin Houston and what happened with Eric Berry. Uh, They were just too valuable to the locker room and they became so expensive. And I worry that's exactly what happened with, with Chris Jones and Frank Clark has now look there were eight really really important games but he's had eight games mm-hmm. and you know i i go back to the chris jones one when you sign him you made that decision he was on a franchise tag and he said he wasn't going to play on it but usually that ends up being a bluff i don't i don't know what he would have done we have seen some players sit out um i remember we were having conversations you know uh, like off air obviously uh just you know you see deforest buckner get the same situation, and then he gets traded from the 49ers to the Colts for a first-round pick, and it was, and then he gets paid a massive amount of money. And it was hard not to see that and go, man, I love Chris Jones. It'd be great to have him back, but there's only so much you can do with building a roster. If you're paying everybody to be the highest-paid guy, you can't do that. Yeah. Like, how could you not love that haul in because return? Back to, back to what we talked about before. Those those types of decisions are what get you Daniel Sorensen. And um and that you know, that conversation's already gone, but who is the guy I, he wound up going to the Packers. Um not not this recent pickup that they just made off the of the guy that the Texans cut, but he played a huge role for them in the middle as a defensive tackle last year during the Packers run to the NFC oh, uh, title Kenny game. Clark? Is that right? Maybe it was it was it, but it was a free agent. The point is, the Chiefs could have had him for much cheaper and lesser production, but still very near production. You basically could have had him. You could have had eighty five percent, ninety percent of the Chris Jones um, production for forty yeah. percent of the cost. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Know and the then if if you make that well decision, enough. if you make decisions like that, then what does your secondary look like? And and the tough thing, it's tough to convince people of those sorts of things because they can see what it's like with Chris Jones. But you can't exactly paint a picture of, well, okay, but bear with me, no Chris Jones, a decent replacement, but this, 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 and this in the secondary. That's not a definite, so that's hard. That's a hard sell to the fans. The easy sell is, hey, he's a big yeah. name, he's been really good, here's all his money. 
Well, also imagine signing the guy to a contract and then it's like, oh, no, he's not going to play that position anymore. He's going to play a brand new position. Which you know? it, I don't know how much. Um, I, it, it I, I don't know worked, how much though. if it was. Yeah, it's been. Yeah. And, and I don't know how much of that was um, him wanting that or Spagnolo deciding. I don't know. But regardless, it hasn't worked. No, it hasn't. OK, so let's just let's go through this position by position. Quarterback. Obviously a success with Patrick Mahomes with what you've done there, but. Again, like I don't know how much of that credit you want to give to Brett Veach. It, it's impossible to the know. Most I'd be willing to give is fifty percent because okay. he didn't even draft him. Right. So it's impossible to know that one. But you do get a lot of credit, even if it's only partial credit for that, just because quarterback position is most important, and you found the guy with Patrick Mahomes. Okay, running back position. You used a first round pick on it, so that's already a negative strike. On top of that, you do not have a what is considered like strong collection of running backs in the NFL yeah. and how important that is probably not much, but if you just have a, whatever collection of running backs and they're all making the minimum, who cares? But if you're using first round picks on them and you have ones that are being paid two, $3 million they need a year, to be studs. exactly. And that is not the case. So that not great receiver position. Only good receiver the Chiefs have, you know, if you want to say, oh, well, Byron Pringle's above average or average, like, okay, whatever. I don't care. The only good one, is Tyreek Hill. That was the John Dorsey pick. Yep. That was not and a Brett Veach pick. Who was um, McCole Hardman? Was, that was you a know, Brett Veach pick. Exactly. It was a bad pick. And it was a bad pick. Um, and you used a second on him. Uh, you've oh, taken sorry, flyers. I, I wanted to ask Sammy Watkins. Okay. Does he get credit? Was that yes him or no. Dorsey? That was Brett Veach. That was one of his first signings. Okay. So but it you wasn't get a credit. draft. Yeah. You don't win the Super Bowl without Sammy Watkins. So you get massive credit for that. Also, though, you probably overpaid him a bit. That's the problem yeah. with free agency. You're, uh, free agency and trades, you're you're always going, because the, Frank Clark or Orlando Brown, which hopefully they don't wind up paying him, but if you make big trades, you're giving up for a first-round pick for somewhat of a more known commodity, but you're not getting first-round pick money. You're paying them premium money. So that's the problem with trades, and that's the problem with, with free agency. Even a good deal in free agency is still not as good as a good draft pick because you're overpaying. And so, like, but even then, like, Sammy Watkins got $5 million from the Ravens this year. The Chiefs signed him to a three-year $48 million deal. Like, you overpaid for him. But, yeah. okay, I'll, I'll give him a pass on that one because you want a Super Bowl, and again, you don't beat the 49ers without Sammy Watkins with how well he played. And then, like, the Flyers you've taken on, either late-round picks, Josh Gordon's played 28 snaps in three weeks, like, you just haven't been able to put together the receiver position, tight end position. Travis Kelsey, John Dorsey pick. Noah Gray, a guy you drafted, has not really been able to get on the field much this year. So you haven't really done anything at any of those positions. Offensive line, supposed to be revamped. And I'll give him guard to guard. They're pretty yes. looking pretty good guard Reed to guard. Humphrey looks like you mentioned, really good pick in the second round for the Chiefs. Trey Smith, for him being a sixth round pick, awesome. Joe Tooney, really good, but We'll probably Again, be having a conversation in a couple years like, can you believe this is the cap hit for your left guard? Yeah. Um, and then you have at left tackle, you made the big trade for Orlando Brown. And I know there's been a lot of discourse this week about the nuance with whose fault is it? Is it Orlando's Orlando Brown's fault? Is it Patrick Mahomes' fault for dropping back too far and not creating clean pockets? It's probably a little of both. I will say this, though. I think... When you have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, and, and I don't want to make it seem like I believe Patrick Mahomes is above reproach or above criticism, that's not the case. He's human. He's he's worthy of criticism when you're talking about your team. But when you have a quarterback as great as 
um, Patrick Mahomes, what I think you do is you find offensive tackles that play a style like Eric Fisher did that play Athletic. that play yeah. a style that allow him to play in whatever manner he's comfortable. And so here's the issue: you have so much tied in the offensive line. Overall, it's been I would say an above average unit in the NFL, but with how much you're paying it to have games like the Titans, to have games where it's not always a really good unit, yeah. That's a problem. Get tackles that are athletic that can keep guys in front of them that allow. Look, if if that's how Patrick Mahomes sets himself up, I would almost be more in favor of just saying, "All right, we accept that as that as that being part of Patrick Mahomes' game." So instead of trying to wean that out of him or take that out of him, you just say, "Okay, that's who he is. Let's keep him comfortable and find tackles that can block in such a way that he's allowed to do that." Does it not? almost feel like the Chiefs offensive line was constructed to have like a really good running game and not a great passing game. I think it's I think it was constructed in a way, if not that, then it was constructed in a way that they really expected Patrick Mahomes to start being better mm-hmm. at stepping up in the pocket. Yeah. But I just like I look at if you look at like their block win rates on like ESPN yeah. and stuff, it's like a, they're really good against the in the run. They're they're solid. You in wonder the pass. if they were just so frustrated with I don't know if it was in-house or the outside noise. I hope they're not le- they're not listening to the outside noise because as much as I like and we like giving our opinions, you're not going to win if you listen to the media and the fans. Mm-hmm. You just won't. So if it was in-house, it's almost like they they built an offensive line out of their frustration to not get a third and one with a running play. Yes, and but they're not taking advantage of that. They're not taking advantage when teams are playing them in the two-shell defense with four down linemen, like they're they're not patient enough offensively. So I don't know how much you're getting out of the offensive line. It's better, but you're still having bad moments in there, and for how much you're paying it, it it's not working out. So that was the offense. Now let's go to the defense because this is the real train wreck here. And again, if you look at the offense, you can't really point to any of what's great about the Chiefs' offense and say that was a Brett Veach thing. I'll say this about the offense. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to think they were, they were top five in yards and in points this year until the Titans game. Which is, Titans game knocked yeah. them out of the top five in points. And if you have a big game against the Giants, you go back up. But the defense, get this, second highest paid defense in the NFL. How does that and happen? most of that is on the defensive line. Exactly. The defensive line, big reason why Frank Clark, this was pointed out by Scott Chase, and I brought this up the other day. Frank Clark specifically, just on his own, is making only $7 million less than the entire L.A. Rams defensive line. Jeez. It's incredible, right? And the Rams are really good defense. And that, and, and oh, and, and you gave up high picks for and Frank you get, exactly. Yeah. And that goes back to you know not only it's okay, fine. You give up, a, you give the, the the thought is okay. We give up a first round draft pick, and we take the known commodity, or we give up a first and a third, and we take the known commodity rather than just using a first round draft pick on who we think to be good college player. Um, the problem with that is you're not paying them like right. a first-round draft pick Make anymore. A you're, of the money. Exactly. Yeah. You have to give them a big, fat contract. And, again, with, with Frank Clark, I, I can't – and this goes to an overall problem, I think, with Brett Veach. Look, the Frank Clark and Tyran Matthew signing, signings help them win a Super Bowl, just like the Sammy Watkins signing helped them win a Super Bowl. But do you think you that – You the Boston accent there on Sammy Watkins. What I say? Watkins. Did I say it? Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. So, uh, with Sammy Watkins, um, so with Brett Veach, do you think he might be 
really good at constructing a team to win a Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years, <laughs> but not as good at keeping a window open for a long period of time when you've got a great quarterback. I like the way you phrase that, by the way. Like, I just envision if he gets fired by the Chiefs, he's going to go to, he's like, the Bengals. Go somebody and on else. his resume, it says, really good at building a first-time Super Bowl winner if you have a Super Bowl after we win it, years. fire me. Yes, yeah. Um, but no, I just, it's possible. It's, it's, now, look, there's something to be said about um, it's it's just hard to that's a hard thing to do because all of your players become more expensive. You have to make the decision: should we cut this guy? He mm-hmm. helped us win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, and so the decisions become harder. I think a lot of the players become more complacent. I think Patrick Mahomes is the type of guy who wants as many rings as he can possibly get, but very few guys are like that. It's very easy to fall into the. All right, that was a blast. I had so much fun winning a Super Bowl. Now I'm going to make some money and relax a little bit. Um, very few guys have that killer mindset where it's like, no, I won one. I want four. Okay, I have four. Now I want eight. Very few people have that mindset. And so, it's, you know, you've got to find – there are two reasons I think it's important to find young players. One, they're bouncier. They can hit more, so they're just more energetic. And two, they want it more because they haven't had it. Yeah, and that's a good point. And but some of the young guys you brought in, it's like that's remember true. Breland speaks yeah, like Breland speaks didn't work out at all. Um, Derek Naughty has been a fine player, but he's only a two down player. He's not a three down player. He's just a, a run stopping defensive tackle, right? So you have issues there. Uh, they made the decision to let Emmanuel Ogba go in free agency, and he was a Pro Bowler yeah. a year ago. And you re-sign Alex Okafor instead. So uh, some bad decisions there. Linebacker room, as we know, is awful. The lone bright spot. Last week was Nick Bolton, but only against running plays. If you look at the passing grades, Nick Bolton is really bad in passing plays. So just like Derek Naughty, you basically use the second-round pick, or I think Naughty was a third-round pick, on a guy who can be a solid two-down player but not a three-down player. And that's an issue. And it's not just with with that. Like Think about all that the Chiefs have invested in the linebacker core for it to be this bad. Yeah, Second-round picks on Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. Tons of money to Hitchens. Tons of money, way overpaid to Anthony Hitchens. Used a fourth-round pick on Dorian O'Daniel, too. Is there any of those guys that you feel like right now you're building a linebacking core around? And none of them can cover, man. No. That's the worst part is is Bolton, you know— I, I like Bolton in the sense that he can tackle, and maybe that's that's too low of a bar to have, but it's been so long dealing with Anthony Hitchens, who just runs parallel with the player and doesn't try to tackle him. Or maybe he's just too slow to catch up. I don't know. Um, but still, you don't have a coverage linebacker. Mm-mm. How do you not have that by now? No. And then the, the secondary is what you've alluded to. It's more of... You know, it's kind of a, especially a corner, it's a bargain bin. And you, if you look like getting late round picks or undrafted guys to come in, like your Charvarius Wards and Rashad Fenton's, to turn them into even just starter caliber players, which they have, they're not great players, but they're starter caliber, considering where you took them is actually good. But because of the fact that you've invested so much in these other positions, you haven't been able to invest as much in the back end, and you're left with some of these replacement players, which if you have a Again, you're paying the defensive line and, and the linebacker room. You're paying them to basically be a top 10 unit in the front seven. And because if you were that, the secondary, I think, would be just fine with that, right? Yeah, with if, a they, good if pass they weren't rush. having a cover for so long. But the fact of the matter is they don't have that. You so can't, now it's left out to dry. You're having a hard enough time getting to the quarterback with a blitz. So think about that. You're having a hard enough time getting to the quarterback with a blitz. 
it's out of the question to just use your highest paid position group to get to the quarterback. And that's, you know, think, I mean, I don't know. I guess the best way I can explain it is think of if Patrick Mahomes, who's probably having the worst year of his career, who I still think is going to recover and turn out to be, yeah, I think he wins another couple MVPs. I, I still, you know, I'm not worried about Mahomes, be, you know, making a turnaround. But think about if you were paying Mahomes that type of money and he threw for 15 touchdowns and 27 interceptions. That's what you're getting out of this defensive yeah. line right now. It's, yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. You're yeah. getting, you're getting terrible value. I mean, you're getting terrible production for a ton of money. It's not like you're paying them a ton of money and they're only playing average, which would still be a bit bad from a value standpoint. But you're getting awful production. So not only did you not only do you have the wrong guys, you gave the wrong guys more money. Yeah, and so this is what's the most scary. You have a lot of decisions to be had for Brett Veach now the rest of the year. Do you trade some guys away? Like Tyron Matthews, a free agent, if you're not going to be a playoff team, you need to trade him away and get draft picks, right? You need to trade away some of these guys. Orlando Brown, I don't know if you can re-sign him. It's it's the same thing that you did with Frank Clark where it's almost like a, what is that fallacy? Sunken cost fallacy. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you, if you gave up resources for something, that doesn't mean you have to pay them as well. Yeah. So if it's not working, don't pay him. Don't double down. Don't pull another Frank Clark. And, you know, if you can find a home for, I don't know what the cap would be with, with Chris Jones or anything, like anything like that, make a deal. But the they, issue is I don't know how much you trust Brett Veach to make all the right moves at this point. They have the advantage with Orlando Brown to prove that he's not, so far he's proven he's not worth the money. Frank Clark, they signed to that contract right away, which I'm not saying was a good thing. But they also at least, I guess I would say it will if they if they sign Orlando Brown that will be and well let me say this if they sign Orlando Brown and don't move him to the, if they if they sign him as a left tackle that's a giant mistake and to me an even bigger one than the Frank Clark signing because with Frank Clark you signed him before he ever played a game for you Orlando Brown is giving you now a half a season on tape that he's not good enough to get paid what he's wanting. And if you still give him that, that's an even worse mistake. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's uh, cheer up the mood a little bit. Halloween candy draft on the other side. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact djohnson at gpm now.com that's d johnson at gpmnow.com jesse newell of the kansas city star joins us in about 10 minutes this is rcst Derek johnson with adam dravetta so over the weekend mike leach in the post game mississippi state beat vanderbilt over the weekend afterwards he was asked about his favorite halloween candies we talked about on the broadcast how you hate candy corn what's your favorite halloween candy corn I mean, I completely hate candy corn. Um, uh, when I was a kid, well, gummy bears, let's see. Uh, gummy bears for sure. Sour or regular? Uh, um, the, the, the Haribo, it's got to be the Haribo ones. And then uh, the other thing I like is uh, is when they used to have the, the uh, sprees in a box. Outstanding. You have to go to the dollar store to find it, but I do. And then the latest, the, the latest, you know, there's still candy innovation, although 
while back, I found that Europe had better candy than we did overall, because <laughs> they have gummy everything. And then, uh, but uh, um, the, uh, you know, they have those Nerds Clusters, which is new. With the gummy. Yeah, which is good. The Nerds Clusters is good. And then if you go chocolate, uh, probably Almond Joy. He had me till Almond Joy. I love an Almond Joy. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, but I'm also, I, I understand I'm in a minority there. Um, first off, it's kind of. Do you know what he was talking about? The sprays? Sprees? Oh, is he saying sprees? I think he was saying sprees. Okay. Um, I, uh,. The th- well, okay, two thoughts. One, he was saying, he was saying he, there's one he, you can only get at the dollar store. Yeah, those are the sprees, the sprees. I guess, yeah. Uh, but then he, he talked about how he'll only have Haribo gummy bears, which that is the mindset of a man who gets paid $5 million a year. <laughs> He's not settling. No. It's no. Haribo or nothing. Yes. I mean, they're really good. They're um, good. They're oh, top level. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't expect gummy bears to taste that different brand to brand, but Haribo's can knock them out of the park. Have you had the ones you mentioned at the end, the Nerd Clusters? So, Those are new. They're so good. Gummies are... So, no, I haven't. I don't love... Like, I don't really like Skittles. I don't love Nerds. Really, if it's not chocolate, gummy bears or gummy worms or the gummy lifesavers are the only non-chocolate candy I really care for. So, uh, after hearing this... AU player media availability today had a chance to talk to five different players who were there in attendance. Uh, Jeremy Webb, KU cornerback, uh, Kwame Lasseter, KU receiver, Jason Bean, the quarterback, Mike Nowitzki, the center, and uh, Caleb Sampson, the defensive tackle. Which, good thing, by the way, good thing you asked them these questions uh, after probably their best game of the yes. year. Because if you'd have shown up and asked them this of a after 59 loss. to 7 loss to Iowa State, yeah. everyone would have hated you. Yeah. Probably. I don't know. They might hate me anyway. Anyway, here were uh, some of the answers from the players. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Favorite Halloween candy? Uh, probably Reese's. Yeah. Is there anything this close? Reese's or anything gummy candy like, um, I don't know, like the Lifesaver gummies. Yeah. Right, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Um... Jolly Ranchers. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, see, I didn't celebrate Halloween growing up, but my favorite candy is... I, I've been I've been killing M&M's lately. <laughs> <laughs> I have been. Is there yeah. a specific type of M&M's? Just regular M&M's don't... or Kit Kats. Yeah, I like chocolate a lot. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Hershey's Cookies and Cream Bar. Favorite Halloween candy? Oh, I'm going to probably have to go with... I'll go Candy Corn. No, Jeremy! Candy Corn is the best. There's no way. Candy Corn's your favorite? Yeah, I'll probably go Candy Corn. How much... Are you just... uh, You see the data skills. What are your thoughts on Candy Corn? Um... Overrated? Yeah. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) Jeremy said that's his favorite. You know, that's 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 his preference. (laughs) (laughs) He could have them all. What are your thoughts on Candy Corn? Mm, it's not bad. Not, not a fan. I'm not a favorite, but it's not bad. What do you think? Jeremy Webster, that's his favorite. Really? Yeah. Nah. Out of all the candies? Nah. <laughs> that was Kwame Laster at the end. Jeremy Webb was the one who said candy corn, which is always a controversy this time of year. I don't like it, man. No, I, I'm not a fan either. I don't think it's like, you know, I putrid, but I, it would probably be the bottom rank for me. Just I mean, there's so many good candies, although I'm really not a fan of almond drip, but... Uh, the, the reaction, I wish, this is a moment that I wish it wasn't just radio and that there was a visual, because the reaction 
of the face of Kwame Lasseter when I told him that Jeremy Webb, his favorite candy was candy corn, was like this WTF moment where they're not just, roommates, are they? I don't think part so. Of me, I don't part know. of me wonders that there would be like, oh my God, <laughs> I, I, I thought I knew him, I don't. Um, I uh, have a story on this topic that I have to tell. So both Derek and I, Derek after me, um, when we were students, we had the opportunity to be the play-by-play voice of the KU volleyball team. And uh, both had a had a lot of fun and, and had a chance to enjoy some success. We made a tournament the year I did it. Uh, Derek was the broadcaster when they made the Final Four run. So it was a ton of fun. So the year I did it, it was a brand new concept for students to be doing this. And so we had no commercials in between uh, sets and on timeouts. We had no music, nothing. It was just dead air. And I thought, I need to add something. And so I would go and interview each player and coach and ask them random questions. And we were in Fort Worth playing TCU, and I asked each player and coach, your favorite Halloween candy, very simple. One of the coaches... I'm not going to say who it was. I will tell you it was an assistant coach, so I can I can say definitively it was not Coach Bouchard. <laughs> it was an assistant coach, but I don't want to say who because he might be embarrassed by this. He said, so what you did is my name is, et cetera, my favorite candy, and he said Reese's Pieces. Awesome. He told me a story a couple weeks after that. So he had gone on like two dates with this woman that he had met on some dating app or dating website. He'd gone out twice with her. And he said to me that after that game, KU lost that match against TCU and hopping on the bus. I don't know if it was right after the match or if it was we were on the bus to go to the airport. But regardless, at some point on the bus, he gets a text from this woman he'd been out with a couple times saying, hey, I'm sorry you all lost, but I have a surprise for you. And she sends a picture, and on this bed is about 50 or $60 worth of Reese's Pieces. Oh, my gosh. I thought for a second you were going to say it was going to be like a picture of her, like Varsity Blues, but instead of whipped cream, it was just like Reese's, Reese's Pieces. Pieces. No, that would be something. <laughs> but no, like 50 or 60 bucks worth of Reese's Pieces, oh man. Gosh. They'd gone on two dates. Imagine. My no. first reaction was, of course, like, awesome. We got people listening. This is great. I'm just envisioning, like, I don't know if there's a candy store in Lawrence. I don't think there is. It just, she just walks in, just walk- puts down no, 60 she probably, bucks. She probably all the went, Reese's Pieces, Yeah, every please. Reese's. No. Yeah. She probably went from gas station to to to, to uh, <laughs> nope, grocery store. Much, yeah. Just out, out, out. Uh, just stopping at new places each time. It was, he was, um, I don't think there was a third date. Let me just say that. Yeah. Okay, uh, before we go, we don't have time for a draft. So what is your favorite chocolate, and what is your favorite non-chocolate Halloween candy? Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, specifically yeah, around, I would agree with that. around Easter. I love the... The, uh, the white chocolate ones, too? No, 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 I love. No. I don't like white chocolate, but I love the eggs because they have much more peanut butter, and I like the pumpkins around Halloween. So Reese's Peanut Butter by far. Um, non-chocolate, uh, give me a gummy. Gummy bears, gummy worms, gummy... Um, Lifesavers. I mean, you can't go wrong with Starburst. I used to love Laffy Taffy, uh, Sour Patch Kids. Can't go wrong with that. Those are airheads. Airheads are good. Uh, All right, that's Adam Nevada. I'm Derek Johnson. Maybe we'll see what Jesse Newell's favorite Halloween candy is next. He joins us on the other side. About 20 till 4, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. On FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com, joins us. Jesse, what is your favorite Halloween candy? 
Oh, well, it's probably my favorite normal candies. Uh, but it's hard to go wrong with a Reese's peanut butter yeah. cup, and they have all these different ones you can do that that are really good. So probably that. I'm probably sticking with that. I'm a peanut butter guy for sure. How much candy will you be stealing from your daughter's tote? A lot. Um, <laughs> it's not good. You know, I'm actually really good and disciplined when there's no temptation in the household. But, uh, yeah, after Halloween, I am just totally helpless. Um, so, yeah, I'll be taking the dad side for sure. Okay, well, you know who wasn't totally helpless on Saturday? KU football taking on Oklahoma. Um, after seeing that OU game, I, I won't make you say, do they win a game the rest of the way, but will there be at least one more game the rest of the way where KU either wins or has a single-digit loss? Well, I guess the two you'd be looking at would be either uh, West Virginia or K-State. Both of those are probably going to be in the range of, I don't know, um, Texas Tech was an 18-point underdog, so probably at least in that range. So, I mean, the odds are probably not, right? I mean, unfortunately for Kansas, it's one performance does not a season make, and so it's this, this the onus is still on them to kind of come out here and prove it and prove that this wasn't just a one-week blip. Now, the, the positive for Kansas here is, you know, if you go back to the Texas game a few years back where, you know, all the memes, KU beat Texas, all those sorts of things, it's pretty easy to see how KU won that game. Texas turned over six times. You know, if another team is going to hand you six turnovers, five points to turnover, and going to hand you 30 points to enter the game and you're playing at home, yeah, you hope you're going to win that game. Uh, Saturday was a little bit different, right? I mean, KU averaged 6.3 yards of play. The turnovers were even at one apiece. KU limited possession, which was in their control. So um, a lot of things that Kansas did, it earned. This was not a fluke, gimme, oh, there's a crazy onside kick, a crazy 99-yard play, a crazy this or that that happened. Actually, the crazy stuff that happened in that game went Oklahoma's way, you know, if you really want to break it down. So I think that's all positive for Kansas. But, you know, the reality sets in again. I mean, there's... 30-and-a-half-point underdogs at Oklahoma State coming up on Saturday. So this is why the, the long-term view is the long-term view. KU still is in prove-it mode, and, and while that was a very, very encouraging effort against Oklahoma and KU deserved to be in that game, uh, you know, it's still on them to come out and show that this is a different level of performance that they can repeat week after week. And at this point, um, they haven't earned that benefit of the doubt because that really was the one breaking performance for this year for KU, and they haven't had anything really close to that the rest of the season. What did you take away from that game that you think can be repeatable for them to do that the rest of the season? And uh, what do you think about that game is going to be the toughest part for them to repeat moving forward? Well, I think let's start with the toughest part. Uh, the game plan that they executed was just, uh, they almost did it flawlessly. You know, to have a 14-play drive that took nine minutes off the clock the first time and scored a touchdown. Another drive goes 10 plays and takes another whatever was six or seven minutes off the clock. I mean, you're talking about an Oklahoma team that was getting the ball for the fifth time with a minute and a half to go in the third quarter. I mean, if Oklahoma scored four touchdowns on its first four drives, they couldn't have had more than 28 points. And so for Kansas, you know, the third down conversions, being able to keep drives going in that way, that's probably the least sustainable. You know, they just absolutely perfectly went out and extended drives, took time off the play clock, kept things going, and made this a very, very low-possession game where it's going to be almost impossible for Oklahoma to pull away, much less if a couple things go against Oklahoma. Now you're trailing. You know, you're trailing by 10 with a minute 30 to go in the third quarter. So that's probably the least sustainable. 
you know, I went back and watched this film, and I know a lot of people, rightfully so, have been encouraged by K's offensive line and the performance that, uh, you know, how much they've improved since the beginning of the year when they only averaged two yards rushing in South Dakota. But uh, <laughs> the line didn't look as good as I thought it was going to. Honestly, I think what's sustainable right now is Devin Neal is kind of on a different level. I mean, he is just... He's playing really well. He's breaking tackles. He's uh, what, what they call running behind his pads. You know, he's he's leaning forward, getting down pad level low, and when he's getting hit, he's falling forward two or three yards. And those are really important when I'm talking about all the things I just said, said with KU, which is if second and seven looks a lot different than second and ten. You know what I mean? And that's what he's doing really well for Kansas is he's helping them to move the chains because he's playing so well, and, and he's not going down on first contact. He's getting three, four more yards every time he's getting hit. So, I think that's sustainable for KU. He gets better every single week. We say this every week, but it's true every week that he's getting better and he has been coachable. And he's looking like one of the Big 12's top backs at this moment. And um, again, I guess you know, I guess we're going kiss Mary kill somewhere in the middle of those is Jason Bean's performance. You know, I mean, we can talk things in circles if you want, but if you're in the Big 12 and you can't pass the football, it's going to be tough. And in three Big 12 games, KU had averaged uh, Jason Bean had averaged 87 yards passing against. Baylor, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. It's not going to get it done. Uh, he comes out against uh, Oklahoma. It looks completely different. You know, 246 passing yards. He was comfortable in the run game. So if he can get KU somewhere in between the level, you know, somewhere between 87 passing yards and him looking completely lights out against Oklahoma, then, yeah, KU's going to have a chance. But, um, yeah, some of those things that happened, probably not as repeatable. But I think I do have confidence in the run game getting better. Devin Neal, and then Jason Bean just not being the 87 passing yards per game guy. If that happens, then yeah, maybe KU does have a shot at holding uh, one of these games in the future to single digits and, and being competitive another one where they have a chance to win it at the end. Jesse, uh, this is Adam. I had a quick question. The, the beginning of this game, I, I was thinking a lot back to a game in Charlie Weiss's first year where the Jayhawks went to Manhattan. That was a K-State team that was contending for the national title. Um, I know they scored it, it, very similar. They had a, they had a sustained drive that resulted in a touchdown, and they forced I think either a punt or a field goal uh, for K State. Then another sustained drive, and so immediately Kansas is up by two scores after a couple impressive sustained drives. The final score of that game was like 59-14. K-State just obliterated them from that point on. So is there something to be said and some encouragement to take away from the fact that not only did they start out really doing well, executing their, their game plan early on, but that in the moments when Oklahoma kind of woke up, there was, there was never this, this cowering away. Oklahoma eventually won by 12, but at no point did they just say, well, something's gone wrong time to retreat is is there something to take away from that or is it just kind of just a one game deal yeah we'll see um i think you're on to a good point which is the psyche of this team and, and and lance leipold if you listen closely he's sort of played into this as well uh ku won the toss against oklahoma earlier in the season when ku won the toss they deferred Lately, when KU wins the toss, they receive. And I think that's a big thing because we just talked about it. KU started the game with a 14-play touchdown drive. And all of a sudden, there's some buzz on the sidelines. Everybody's got confidence. You have a chance to you know, go into halftime having some belief, going into the fourth quarter have some belief. And so I think it's the right thing for Lance Eiffel to do, honestly. Uh, but it is amazing kind of how fragile this whole thing is. I was going back and watching the tape. You know, KU kind of blew a couple of assignments on the offensive line on the first two plays of the game, and they're facing third and eight. And this could be a point where, you know, if Oklahoma gets a stop there, gets the ball back and scores, 
we're not talking about a 35-23 game. We're not talking about KU being up 17-7. We're most likely talking about the blowout that everybody expected. So what happens? Oklahoma has two blitzers. They try to cross each other. They both hit each other and fall down. <laughs> okay? They fall down, and uh, Jason Bean's able to complete a pass. I believe it's the Kwame Laster on that one. Gets a first down. And again, KU's off to the races on a 14-play drive. But it is amazing how the small things can really add up to huge things in the end. And it is really important for Kansas to get off to a good start. It's going to be a, a big deal against Oklahoma State. I mean, Oklahoma State has had games where they just completely crushed Kansas. And we know that's a tough place to play at Boone Pickens Stadium. It's one of the ones where the fans are just on top of you. I mean, it's almost to the point where I wonder if coaches are asking if it's even legal to have fans that close because there's no track and there's obviously almost no room in the end zones to even run if you're a team trying to prepare for the game or if you're getting shoved out of bounds, kind of a safety hazard, that sort of thing. But KU is going to have to withstand that sort of momentum potentially going against them, and, and that's the big question. Can they do that? Can, can they stand in the face of that and still respond like they did against Oklahoma when things didn't go right? And That's really the true makings of this team because, yeah, there's going to be a tough opponent week in, week out in the Big 12. And KU showed for one game that was able to, to do that and maintain that and play physical and, and be the aggressor in a game. Uh, but, you know, you're only as good as your next game starting pitcher. And so for Kansas, you know, the next game is going to be much different than this one. And, and we'll see in a, a very tough atmosphere in, in Stillwater if they're able to maintain that and do things just as well as they were against Oklahoma. That's going to be a big test. I, I can't remember how hard it is for guys to make it to at least all Big 12 honorable mention. But if I gave you over-under of one and a half, and maybe I'll adjust it down to a half, but if I gave you over-under one and a half all Big 12s, and when I say all Big 12, that's including first team, second team, and that honorable mention list, for the battery of Devin Neal and Jason being combined for their KU careers, what would you take? For their careers? Yeah. Oh, yeah, over. Um, I mean, I guess if you want to, I mean, Neal will get it this year, and then Every year after that, uh, guys, he's good. I mean, he is really, really good. And um, <laughs> I saw online. I mean, there's some like NFL draft type blogs and stories coming out on him. Uh, and again, I know this is putting the cart before the horse, but I mean, this guy a couple weeks ago was pretty unsure of his running lanes. Was running upright. Was not bouncing off of tackles. And now, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw Brandon McAnderson's tweet. He kind of pointed this out, and I, I had a tweet about it earlier. You know, that, that third-quarter drive when Kansas answered, we could talk a lot about, hey, KU punched Oklahoma right back in the mouth, and they did exactly what they needed to do. And, again, I was expecting to rewatch the film and say, hey, man, look, KU's blocking really well. Like, they're blowing Oklahoma off of all those sorts of things. It's not what I saw. I saw Devin Neal breaking a bunch of tackles and then just getting going, and you saw his motion when KU got inside the 10-yard line, kind of the – the made-up spoon where he's you know, going towards his mouth, like, feed me, give me the rock. And he was playing with emotion. He was playing with power. Uh, he's really good. I mean, he is really, really good. And what's most encouraging is he is getting better by the week. I mean, you can see it. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm uh, – I mean, you know, you knock on wood with that. Running backs do get injured, and he's still just a freshman. I mean, I think – Derek, you know this. He came onto campus with a different type of body than what true freshmen normally come on to campus with. So I think that is benefiting him because he is running with power that you don't expect from guys who haven't been in a college weight room that long. But uh, I, I don't think I could be higher on anybody on KU's roster than what I am on Devin Neal right now. I mean, the kid just, all the things combined, not only that he's a leader, um, he's one of the most well-spoken people I've talked to in KU football in the last decade. 
Um, you know, he wants to work hard. He wants to be better. He wants to be coachable. He's obviously a Lawrence kid, so he wants to be part of the rebuild. Uh, what Kansas is going to do moving forward, a lot of that is going to hinge on what Devin Neal does. So, like I said, uh, you knock on wood if you're Kansas football fan. Hope he remains healthy. Hope he can stay on the field because what he's given the Jayhawks right now is a whole lot of offensive boost, uh, even if they haven't earned it in some of the other areas of the game. And, and that's allowed Katie to move the football even when some of the other things haven't gone right. That's a really big deal for Kansas football right now, and it could be a huge deal for them moving forward. We're talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. There's uh, some KU basketball this weekend as well in a quote-unquote secret scrimmage. KU taking on Tulsa on Saturday. I'm making it my right. Everybody I bring on to the show, do you have a way to get some secret info passed along here? Do I have it, or do I do I have the ends? I don't have the ends. Mm. Uh, somebody will have them, right? I mean, I usually a Rothstein or a Goodman figures out the score somehow and, uh, and gets it posted. But, yeah, it's weird how this works, man. It's like... Uh, the coaches are told they can't say anything, and they get in trouble if they do. So um, I say that, and yet I saw like Duke posted video highlights. Yeah, maybe so the North Carolina of their game. So yeah, that's, so I don't know what what's so secret here. I don't know what's going on. So we'll have to see. But um, there's going to be some news leaked out. I, I can almost guarantee that. Well, like I said yesterday, I'm not you know imploring it, but if somebody just happened to be on a unofficial campus visit of Tulsa and they happened to you know, just be looking around campus and stumble into the basketball arena and there's some people playing basketball and you happen to, you know, keep stats, then it just happens. So maybe something will come out from there. Um, but I, I am curious from the basketball standpoint of things, like we've discussed the playing faster in regards to pressuring defensively and so forth. I was looking yesterday and one team that I found interesting was the 2011 team because of the fact that that team was very deep, just like this one is. And in terms of adjusted tempo, I think they ranked 42nd in Ken Palm. Um, but if you just looked at offensive possessions, like their average possession length, length offensively, they were the 17th fastest offense in the country that year with a deeper team. So do you envision this team, because it is deeper, getting out in transition more, playing faster offensively? Yeah, I do. I think also you're running those up long enough. It kind of goes in waves with what he wants. And this reminds me so much of, if you remember back in the day, 2012, Tyson Taylor, Elijah Johnson played together, kind of two combo guards who could push it. KU obviously had the great season. Um, the next year, Tyson left, and KU really didn't have another combo guard to go to. So Elijah Johnson had to slide over on the ball. Just wasn't a perfect fit, you know, like he was trying his best to do it, but he was kind of worn out, kind of lost the athleticism he had. He all his McDonald's All-American game dunks and things like that. He just wasn't the same type of explosive player. And part of that was he was worn down. And so I was just going to build back. and like, I need to get the combo guards going again sort of thing. And so this reminds me of that. You know, Marcus Garrett, for all he did great defensively, for all he was as a team leader and getting everyone organized, you know, he was playing basically on his own as a non-traditional point guard last year for Kansas. And because of that, the Jayhawks played pretty slow. And so you've heard a lot of Bill Self talking now, hey, he's brought some guys on his roster. He has the combo guards. He's probably going to try to play a couple of those guys together and get back to playing faster. And here's the honest part of it, too. Like, he loves his easy baskets. And we know how David McCormick plays. He's not as much of a Udoka easy basket guy. He's going to be playing away from the rim quite a bit. But if you go and run, that's one way to get those easy baskets and still check that off the list. So I think Bill Stuff does want to play with more tempo, more speed, and get those easy baskets one way or the other. And that might be the easiest way for this particular roster to do it because 
as you said, they've got depth. They can substitute guys in. They can keep them fresh, and they also have bodies that can race up and down the court. So uh, that's one way to uh, to get those to get that offensive efficiency up from last year. Because as we know, uh, that was one of the big struggles KU had last year with Marcus Garrett at point guard. Uh, they should be trying to play faster this year. All right, Jesse. Before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. Jesse, one last thing. What is the weirdest place you've ever been to alone? Wow, on the spot here. Weirdest place I've been to alone. Yes. Man, Basing this on a bet a couple of my friends had in uh, in high school, it, it kind of started. One of them went to, like, the movies alone, which when you're in high school is weird. Uh, the other one upped him by going to, uh, this was in the fall, so he went to one of the haunted houses in Kansas City alone. It, it finally um, hit its zenith when one of them put on a three-piece suit and went to Ruth's Chris by himself. So <laughs> that's kind of the impetus of this question. Yeah, that's all good. I'm trying to think of, like, the awkward situation of being alone, and you're like, ooh, this, doesn't, this isn't right. Um, sometimes it's <laughs> – I think I went to a concert alone, and that's, <laughs> uh, that feels weird, you know? Like, you're, yeah, oh, you're yeah. kind of in the moment, but you're also, like – Usually people are there with buddies in the moment. Who so, was it? Uh, well, I've, I've been to a few, but I was, um, I'm trying to think of the exact one I went to alone to, but it's probably some you know typical 2000s alternative rock, pop rock band at Granada, like Yellow Card or something. So, Excellent. Um, that was yeah. my favorite band in high school. Thank you. There you go. Trying to have some sort of a collective moment, but having the collective moment without having the collective person with you can be a little bit awkward for for sure honestly i think going to a sporting event alone is kind of weird like if you're going as a fan yeah that's what i say because jesse you know it's more it's the common because he goes concert. for work right that's different i went to the uh I, and this is weird too because i was like i was 17 years older no i was like 15 i went to the giants padres game 162 in 2010 where the giants clinched the division i went to that alone that was kind of weird to be alone at yeah, I'll tell you guys the one that probably might not you say that. I went to, and this was way back in the day, I went to the no-punt Chiefs-Colts playoff game alone. Mm. Oh, jeez. Uh, got a $35 ticket off eBay. Wow. And was about eighth row, but I sat next to Weird Wolf. Great guy. Invited me to his tailgate, <laughs> all those things. But if you go look up Weird Wolf online, super generous. But I guess he had an extra ticket. And so, yeah, I went to that alone. And like, he was generous to remind me of the tailgate and remind me to have food. But, yeah, it still was kind of a little bit awkward. You know, you, you want to – be a part of this whole thing, but uh, you know he, he wasn't my friend before that, so that, he was nice to me, but it was still kind of weird. That's funny you bring that up. That same season when the Chiefs clinched the division, it was beating the Detroit Lions 45-17, to and I think that was when Trent Green had his perfect passer rating. I was at that game. I drove there with some buddies, but my ticket was upstairs. Their ticket was downstairs, so I actually made the trek to and from the game with three other guys, but I sat alone. This is the exact same season that you're talking about. It's kind of like uh, you're wanting high fives and the people around you keep you hanging. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah, it's Don't sad. Know you, dude. Kind of being weird, yeah. <laughs> He's Jesse Newell, the Kansas City star. Jesse, thank you so much for the time, and if you happen to be alone but find your way into the secret scrimmage, that is okay. Uh, maybe a window. We'll have to see. <laughs> That's Jesse Newell, the Kansas City star. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. Okay, so I wanted to get to a segment of, hey, what's going on over there? And for today's edition of, hey, what's going on over there, we are going to talk about Alabama homecoming. And you may be wondering, why on earth should I care? Well, I might not be able to answer that question for you, but... 
I can tell you this. You're going to say it real quick. I'll let you go, but I want to I want to preface this. You're going to hear me say this a lot. Derek's heard me say it plenty. I don't mean this to offend anybody. It's just a factual statement that you will hear me say a lot on this show. The South is an odd place. All right, so this is... Filled with odd people. And Continue. the first person, her name is McLean. Apparently that's a name. McLean Moore was awarded the University of Alabama Homecoming Queen honor. But it goes well beyond that because... Moore, or McLean Moore, I don't know. I, I feel like I should call her McLean. That's more fun to say. Uh, McLean had it election... sounds like a last name. <laughs> it does. Had election violations that were grounds for her disqualification, but the student government did not hold a hearing, and that is only the tip of the iceberg on this story. So, again, we are basically having, like, political election violations. But this stuff is important, Derek. Coming. Now, tell me, this is important, mm-hmm. Derek. What do you win for being homecoming queen down in Tuscaloosa? I'm glad you ask. It is not some big scholarship. It is not some it big It must prize. be some money. No. It is a title. It is a crown. Excellent. It is a whole heaping lot of nothing. Now, you get to be on, like, the student council, basically, where you... I don't even know what you do, because there's not, like... It's not like a prom dance. Like, what are you going to do? Well, you I, know, you don't get to pick where I homecoming this, is. The, the last thing I really know the, the knew the KU student Senate to do, and I'm sure they do a great job now, but the last thing they did when I was there was they got rid of, we had an opportunity for $2 a semester. We got subscri- we, we, we all had subscriptions to the uh, New York Times, the USA Today, and the Kansas City Star, and the student Senate said, nah, oh, we don't want those things. Well, that would have been nice. So... Um, so I don't know what that's if that's if that's the the authority that they have down. No, but this in is Tuscaloosa. homecoming queen. This isn't like you what know is, student senate. Um, oh I, wait, so you? I thought you just said that by winning you got appointed to that. No. Oh no, no I totally misunderstood you. No, no, well, no, I'm the no. idiot. Uh, although I do wonder, like in Alabama, could you not see like if you're homecoming queen, like you get actually like. Like, like you could go into a restaurant and they're like, oh my gosh, that's the homecoming. Is that it? Yeah, right? is that an nil like get, thing? I, I, it might be. Like, you get like on TV commercials. Yeah. It's like, hey, I'm so. Hey, this is queen. McLean Moore. Right? And you get to put it on your resume, and somebody hires you right away because you're the homecoming queen. Yeah. Well, my sister, I'm not going to tell you what <laughs> line of work she's in because I don't want to give away too much. But um, one of my sisters is in a position where she hires people. And uh, she has had two, count them, two different people apply and on their resume. Now, I want to I want to note that this is she the the particular area of work she is in the job she hires for. You have to have a college mm-hmm. degree for. So this is not just somebody fresh out of high school. Maybe is the first time making a resume. No, th- this was somebody who had graduated college <laughs> had on. Um, whatever talents or achievements, whatever section that is, two guys she had say they were their prom king or prom prince oh or something at their high school. Wonderful. So, so maybe that means something to somebody. Yeah, I guess. This goes on the resume. So anyway, here is the story of what's going on over there, leading to all the election violations. Uh, I'm going to be reading some excerpts from the Crimson White, which I believe is the school newspaper for Alabama. Uh, okay, so this is the first piece from it. According to the elections manual, a candidate's accumulation of more than 12 infraction points can lead to a disqualification after a formal complaint is filed. McLean Moore surpassed the 12 infraction points, 
necessary for the board to consider disqualification, but was still crowned queen on October 22nd. So how could this all happen? Let's go back to the beginning. Moore was running against a handful of candidates, most notably, and the person who finished second was one Montana Fouts. And Stop you, naming your kids these things, you, people. Do you not like Montana? It's just weird names. Give me normal names, man. I think everybody's name should be a state. Whatever state you were born in, that's just Okay, that's fair. Um, Montana Fouts is a stud softball player for a really good Alabama squad. And yes, the last name sounds familiar. She is also the daughter of Dan Fouts. She ended up finishing second. There were over 13,000 student votes. Adam, there is about 38,000 students. That includes postgrads. If you include, if you're just saying undergrads, it's like 31,000. That means basically a third. Yeah, a third of the students cared enough for to vote for this. I didn't even like. I found out today that KU crowns a homecoming yeah. queen. I knew KU, but had I never voted on it. And I knew they had a parade, and I love that. And I love how it, how entrenched the University of Kansas is in the community of Lawrence. I love that, and I think that's something very special to, to college towns. I really do like that. But I did not know that KU crowned homecoming royalty. Well, a lot of people cared about it in Alabama. 13,000 people. That's probably more votes than they get on, like, local elections. Yeah, I was going to say, how many people voted for the mayor? (laughs) Probably not that many. Uh, The elections board released the results on Monday, three days later than expected. So that's already a little fishy. Um, And that revealed that Moore had 47% of the votes. She had about a 300-vote lead on Montana Fouts. So not a big lead. Took three days later than expected to the reveal the votes. And, again, keep that number in mind. She was at 47% of the votes. The elections manual states that a candidate needs a majority of votes to win. The manual defines a majority as, quote, 50% of the votes cast plus one additional vote. So you got to be one over 50% to get majority. The number she was at, again, 47%. That does not reach there. Now, if no major- no candidate receives a majority, a runoff election shall be conducted according to the manual no sooner than two class days following the election, but not later than 10 full class days after the election for the two candidates that received the largest percentage of votes. So they should have gone to essentially a playoff between Montana Fouts and McLean Moore. They did not. So add that to how fishy it is. Came out three days later than expected. She didn't re- the- reach the minimum requirement. She barely beat Montana Fouts. Um, and then... Get this, students have three full class days to contest the election after results are published. The official election results for Homecoming Queen were not made publicly available until October 25th, more than three days after the class, or three days, three class days, excuse me, after the election, meaning you can't contest it anymore. So here's where we're at right now. First off, if you noticed, I wasn't talking much during that segment. I was going through Wikipedia and looking at Dan Fouts college career. He went to Oregon, which I knew, but I wanted to see, well, maybe they beat Alabama in a bowl game one year, <laughs> and this is all revenge. Never played Alabama, uh, and so that that's unrelated. But, okay, so here's what we know. We know it, there's enough to know that it's very, very possible that somebody cared enough to cheat the homecoming queen election. That's, that's what we know to be possible. But what we know to be definite is that people care enough to try to contest the results of the homecoming queen election. Because yes. this has obviously happened before if that's in the bylaws, Yeah, they right? have bylaws. 
is incredible. This is incredible how much they care about this. Okay, and, and like part of me is like, wow, uh, it's very possible Montana Fouts got so screwed over, like the system's messed up. But then another part of me is like, why do I even care if it's, she got screwed over? It doesn't matter. What is it? I just I need to know something tangible that Homecoming Queen gets you. That I, and I don't know. I need to know something that tangible that Homecoming Queen gets you that makes me think it's worth all this effort. Well, how about this? Because not only, like I said, it's not really that you're not getting anything. And if that all stuff originally wasn't fishy enough, how about the failure to report donations? And yes, despite the fact that Good what you God. just mentioned, we don't know like what you get. Are you getting anything? There are still actual campaign donations and money being spent on this title. That makes no sense. No, it does not. That's uh, such a... I mean, you know, I, I'll say this. I sometimes feel... There are moments where I feel the amount of money I spend on sports, which in the long run doesn't, you know, matter. Uh, but when I think about, you know, I, I, I contribute to the Williams Fund. I buy tickets to various ball games, you know, whether it be college or pro. I buy a ton of sports memorabilia. And I think, man, there's, you know, I could speak, there's a lot more things, actual tangible things. But man, I can't think of a bigger waste <laughs> of money than this. So these are from, more from the uh, Crimson White. Moore did not report her professional quality campaign videos. They made professional quality campaign videos. Which reminds me, wasn't that Legally Blonde? That was her big deal. Like she, she wanted to get her boyfriend back. And when her boyfriend had moved on, she was like, I even hired a Hollywood director to make my entry video. <laughs> well, she did that and didn't disclose. So Richard Linklater is making is making Hollywood quality uh, homecoming queen videos. Isn't Reese Witherspoon from Alabama? Uh, she was in Sweet Home Alabama, but I don't know I'm if she's of. from there. I don't know. Uh, but if campaign materials are free or donated, candidates are still required to estimate the fair market value of the contribution, which if you don't do that, which she didn't. That should be a six-point infraction. What, what campaign material? Maybe this is why I didn't know KU had. I never saw campaign no. literature out and about for KU Homecoming Queen when I was there. I don't know. I don't honestly remember if they do Homecoming King and Queen or if it's just. I know they what like counts? honor people. It like, might just be like a. You get nominated by your like fraternity or something like that. What counts as. Like, do they do like the way we have commercials and signs and posters and mailers? Do they do that there for Homecoming Queen? It seems like it because, again, she's making professional quality campaign videos. So she doesn't report that. That's a six-point infraction, or at least it should have been. Again, 12 disqualifies you. Furthermore, according to the elections manual, all Homecoming Queen candidates must report their campaign contributions and expenditures once a week, each week, from the date they announced their candidacy to the morning of the election, which was October 19th this year. As of October 16th, Moore had only reported one financial disclosure form on October 4th and reported $0 in expenditures. By then, her campaign included personalized signs and buttons and a car painting event in a parking lot across from Calvary Baptist Church. She later reported these expenses. Moore's second financial disclosure form should have been publicly available October 13th at the latest, but remained missing at least through October 16th, which is a nine-point infraction, so she's already over the 12 points. I want to know how, I want to know, like, what led to, did they kind of see these things coming and that's why they made all these rules? Or if you dig deep enough into the homecoming queen uh, controversies at the University of Alabama, 
Were there so many controversies that that led them to make all these rules, or did they make them proactively? I'm assuming that these were made reactively, not proactively. These are so specific. And look, McLean, my room, what's her name? <laughs> McLean Moore. McLean Moore and Montana Fouts. My, uh, look, we already know Montana Fouts is an outstanding uh, softball player. I, I'm sure they must. I'm sure they're both terrific students. I'm sure whatever they go on to do, they're going to be successful at. But I just—it's not just them. It's not just the two of them that we're talking about. It's how on earth does the community care so much yeah. about this stuff? There was in the uh, football stadium when she got announced homecoming queen. There were boos, which is wild. But um, so get this. So this goes back in line with the—is somebody helping her from behind the scenes? You know, cover stuff up. We mentioned some of the fishy stuff earlier. In Moore's second financial report, the elections website lists another form dated October 4th. This second form initially reported $0 in contributions and expenditures. It was modified after the deadline to report $226 in expenditures out of a $350 donation attributed to herself. Modifying a form after the deadline is also a six-point infraction. So, so far by my count, I, I'm here. I've got, I'm at 21 so far. Yes. Even if her second financial disclosure was mistakenly dated, Moore should have reported her third form by October 18th. Instead, her I, third financial disclosure w- was reported late as well, which is another nine-point infraction. So, who's the— She's who's, at 30 now. Who's pulling the strings behind the curtain here? And, and, and on, on both sides, one— Who's helping McLean Moore do all these things and 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 just pol- you know polishing over them and sweeping it all under the rug? Who's doing that for her? And who on earth is? Do you think there's just a, like a really giddy you know student news reporter who really saw a scoop, or do you think that somebody on the Montana Fout side? Heard about Ooh. all this and 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 put this out to the press. Well, keep this in mind. So, how Montana Fouts was elected as a candidate for this, the athletic side of things for Alabama, it's like a I don't know some group from the athletic side nominates one Alabama student athlete every year. Okay, and she was the nominee. Okay, so could it be somebody from the athletic department? Could it be Nick Saban, who's really angry? Yeah, that- or it could just be the co- her coach. Could be. I just it's it's beyond me that people care this much. But about- I will say, like, I'll say the the most impressive part of all this is the journalistic work. Oh, it's here. fantastic. Yeah. Okay, wait. Uh, more point deductions, real quick. She also. Um, so we're at thirty so far, right? Yeah, we're at thirty. Her final form submitted on election day. More reported an additional like thirty nine dollars in expenditures at the time of publication. Only one of Moore's, but she she didn't have any receipts. Only one of Moore's two forms. That list expenditures included a copy of receipts. Election manual dictates that candidates must provide all receipts and estimates for all financial disclosure forms. Failure to do so, another six-point infraction. Do you think the, the <laughs> person? Do you think that the students? And again, this was tremendous work by yeah. the student journalists here. Do you think they'll fit? They felt really empowered and excited about this, or do you think they were sitting there going, "I can't believe." Like, do they think they're sitting there like, I'm good. If you do work like this, you're good at your job as a journalist. So do you think there was a part of them that was like, I'm really good at this, and this is the crap I have to report on? Yeah, Are you kidding probably, me? Probably. But this might be their big Or they were really empowered, scoop, really right? excited about it. Yeah, yeah, it might be their first big scoop. Great investigative journalism. So 36 points, she should be eliminated three times yeah. from the homecoming election. So that means her 
her great granddaughter should be the next <laughs> one allowed to run for homecoming yes. queen. Yes. Um, so it's fishy. It was rigged. I stand with Montana Fouts. I'm completely on Montana Fouts side here. I am here. too. I also don't care at all, but I do care. It's very weird that I've been roped into caring now that I am all about Montana Fouts winning homecoming queen at Alabama. Uh, go Fouts family, and I don't know what else to say. All right, that is Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. That is, hey, what's going on over there with Alabama homecoming? This is RCST on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Brandon Cooks, would you like to read verbatim what he just tweeted, Adam? No, because I'll get fired. <laughs> okay. I'll uh, give you a, a summa- uh, an FCC-approved mm-hmm. summation. This is BS. Mm. He did not say BS. He said the word. Bologna sauce. Yes. This is BS such a joke, he just tweeted. Just that, well, I say just 4.58 p.m., so seven minutes ago mm. at the time of this reading. Okay. I'm assuming this is in reference to, I just saw an update, Mark Ingram got traded from the Houston Texans to the New Orleans Saints. Um, Maybe he's unhappy they're breaking up the team, but... Probably more likely that he wishes he could get traded. Do you think that's what it is? He's like, this is BS, I wasn't also traded to the Saints? Or, you know, and, and there's there's discussion that they're... Uh, out there trying to trade. Well, we talked about this before the show began. It seems like every two weeks a trade with uh, Deshaun Watson is imminent and then it fizzles out and it doesn't happen. So who knows what's going on there. But I know I, if I had to guess. Now, look, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm kind of sick of, of, and this isn't just NFL players. Really, this isn't just athletes, but athletes kind of live a life where people care what it is they say. I get really sick of people that that tweet or post something really vague, and when people try to speculate on what it might mean, they get all offended. And they're, okay, well, then what did you mean? Mm-hmm. And then they won't say. Are you referring to Tyron Matthews? No, it's 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 he's not even he's the most local example yeah. of it, but he's by far the only one. Um. And it's not just, it's really, it's not just an athlete thing. It's a human thing. We all know people who do that. They just, they don't, you don't care as much because there's just somebody you went to high school with. It's not. Um, I'm keeping this in I my back guess, pocket for later. If we get to something where we disagree on and we, we need something to like, you know, we have to make a bet over something and we don't know what to bet on. We don't want to bet for money or something. We're going to bet the loser has to for a week just tweet one cryptic tweet a day. A day? You can't decipher what it yeah means. and like it can't it, like it wouldn't be like can't be nothing like, that anybody yeah. would make anybody worried right, about right. you or anything like that but yeah no that's a good one i like that um as far but again if i had to decipher what i think he meant um then i would guess he's upset that he's not getting a chance to leave the garbage situation that he's currently in it could be um because that would be such sh- short sight right if if you're like hey we're one in what are they one in six we're one in six we're getting blown out every week how dare you trade our yeah. backup running back right yeah. um so i don't know maybe they're like best friends but i i kind of think you're right what if what if it's i asked for a trade and didn't get one but they traded yeah, this that guy. could be like he privately mm-hmm. he tried to go after it you know he tried to do it 
the 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 quote unquote right way mm-hmm. and 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 requested a trade in house. That's possible. Yeah. Um. The reason this is interesting to me is because the Chiefs could use another receiver. Um. Brandon Cooks has been a name that was floated around. Oh, the Chiefs could trade for Brandon Cooks as early as heck the end of the preseason, maybe because of the Texans are in a current state where they are. He'd obviously be a big upgrade for them at receiver number two. But this all goes back to the conversation of at this point in time, the Chiefs are three and four. Realistically, how salvageable is it? I think at with this getting point, the Chiefs. Well, I think the Chiefs are. Well, I don't because know. I, Cooks I, there's there's time for them to change my mind, but I think the Chiefs are keeping in mind that the NFL deadline, while becoming a little more exciting, the NFL deadline is nothing like the the baseball deadline. Keeping that in mind, I still think, again, with with the with the opportunity for me to change my opinion, depending on how they play in the next few weeks, I think the Chiefs are much more sellers than buyers. Well, and and I agree with you. Like unload Tyran Matthew right now. Yes, and I agree with you. But this is at least interesting. You have to at least think about. It. You have to at least kick the tires and see what they want, right? If they want a third round pick, you don't do it. But if I don't know if there's something there, like this would be the exact guy you've been missing in terms of being a. Like, he is kind of a possession receiver. He's that intermediate route receiver that you don't really have right now. He is a good re- – he's not like a top 10 receiver, but he is a very good receiver. He is a Pro Bowl caliber receiver. Um, I mean, the uh, he came in, you know, you, a, a situation similar to what he would be coming into at Kansas City. Uh, New England took a flyer on him uh, for a year. Um, they made it all the way. They came up short, but they made it all the way to the Super Bowl with him. He has 502 yards with that quarterback situation this year. 7,382 total yards. 40. He's got one touchdown this year, but 41 total. He is only what is he? he say he's 28. He's only 28. So that means he'll probably be 29 by the end of this or by the start of next year. I'll say this: I think he's he's too much. He is a possession receiver, but he's also only 5'10". I'm much more after as far as types of I think Josh Gordon is the type of receiver that the Chiefs need. I think the what the biggest thing they lack is a guy that you can just put it up and I and I I I'm not gonna say fade route because I fully understand why everybody hates fade routes in the end zone. But just right now I don't think the Chiefs have a, a guy, certainly not a wide receiver, that can jump up and just outreach anybody and that wouldn't be Brandon Cooks. Yeah, here's why it probably won't happen. He is making he has a two and a half million dollar salary this year, twelve million next year. So uh what's he to I, cut I next year? Um, let's see, twelve million, one million dollar roster bonus, two and a half million dollar restructure, fifteen and a half cap hit, seven and a half dead cap. So he is cheaper to cut than keep. I think he has team options in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. So he's, I don't know. He's almost like Frank Clay. He's, is that that contract? I guess you can defer some of that. That contract is kind of like, yeah. What's the rule? It's like before June or after June, you can you can cut that dead cap in half. Yeah, and pay June it over 1st. the course of two years. Yeah. Do you have to cut them before or after June first? Usually after. Okay. So I I don't know. I guess you can the point the being he's he's yeah. I mean he helps. But, I just I just don't know that, that right. he's the difference. It, look, if if it came down the, the pipe that, you know, hey, breaking news, Brandon Cooks traded to the Chiefs for a sixth round, I wouldn't care. No, no, I wouldn't either. But if it's like a third round pick, you have questions. And here's the thing. If you told me right now, like we had this conversation last week, 
if I give you the Chiefs, the seven seed right now, would you take it or roll the dice? Last week we rolled the dice. I think we both take, take it right it now, this right? Week, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you knew they were going to make the playoffs, you'd say, oh, all about it. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll take that fair. trade in a heartbeat. You and there's don't know. I yeah. I, I I think the the biggest thing right now that the Chiefs need to focus on are a pair of offensive tackles that that play to the way that Mahomes likes to back up. Um, and beyond that, I you know th- that's my biggest focus right now. But yeah, it, it's not going to hurt to get him more weapons. Okay, so let's take a look at what they would need to get into that playoff picture with or without Brandon Cooks. They are three and four right now, and you know taking aside what it would like, what the other teams in competition are, we basically know that Baltimore, the Chargers, the Bills, the Bengals, and the Titans; those are probably all playoff teams, right? Yeah. So that leaves two spots. Did you, put, did you say the Raiders also? No. But, I mean, I'd be fine going there. They're 5-2, and two, yeah. right? That would leave one spot if it's not the Raiders. So it would be one spot between, what, you, the Browns, which is good you beat them, the Steelers. Um, don't you have a chance to beat the Broncos, them, don't you? Yeah. Don't the Chiefs play the Steelers this year? Yeah, they play the whole division. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, the AFC North. The Colts and, uh, I guess, the Patriots. So it's not like that unheard of that the Chiefs would finish ahead of all of those. Yeah, in the last spot. I but see it. The point is, it leaves you with a very small margin for error that there's already all of those five and two teams that feel like they're going to be playoff teams. So, it, I mean, it is. But we have seen years where like teams have gotten in at nine and seven with the yeah. wild card, and maybe but, this year the equivalent wouldn't be ten and seven; it would be nine and eight. I, don't I would, know. but I would still ten and seven. But yeah, put that's it the this way: ten way. and seven, ten and seven, I think gets you home definitively. Yes. yes. So if that's the goal, ten and seven. Although last year it was eleven and five, right? But I, I think at this point for the Chiefs, like you just shoot for ten and seven, and if it's not good enough, at least you played better at the end of the season. Yeah, right? that's true. Um, so that would mean just to go to ten and seven, you're seven and three the rest of the way. Which for the Chiefs the last couple of years that doesn't sound unthinkable at all. That's you know a normal stretch of games. If anything, that's underperforming for where the Chiefs were a couple of years ago. Seven and three for this team feels like a tough task to ask, especially when you look at the opponents. So this week is the Giants game. And I want to sort this Giants game into, because there are different tiers of games I look at here. There are games against teams that you would view to be an upset. There are teams that I view to be more coin tosses. And then there are teams where at this point, I would almost view them as underdogs and they might just be underdogs in Vegas in the game. The Giants one is one that you should win unless you're upset. I would also put both Broncos games into that category. I would put the Steelers game at home into that category as games you should win. I'm not saying they should dominantly win, but you should win. But also, like, this is something that didn't happen last year. There usually is, and this is what's scary here, because you can only go 7-3, and three, which means you can only lose three more times the rest of the way to get to 10-7. and seven. And with the tough schedule you're playing, there has typically been at least one game every year with been Andy Reid at the helm How the hell did the that happen? Yes. There was the Buccaneers game three, four years ago. There was with, the Titans game in 2019. Yep. There was, didn't they lose? It was Titans in, and Raiders. In 2014, they lost to the Titans. They, in 2014, the Chiefs went 9-7. and seven. So far, the only year that they've been, that they've missed the playoffs under Andy Reid so far. Um, that particular year, they beat the two Super Bowl teams in the Seahawks and the uh, Patriots. And they lost to two teams that got a top three pick, the Titans and the Raiders. So, that's what's scary about that. But let's say you can take care of business. Let's say you can beat the Giants, you can beat the Broncos twice, you can beat the Steelers. That would be four wins. That puts you at uh, seven wins. The goal is to get to ten. 
So you need three more between the rest of this competition, which is somewhere between either the coin flip games or the you're going to be underdog games. Green Bay at Las Vegas, Las Vegas at home, Dallas at the Chargers, and at Cincinnati. Can you find three wins out of there? I I wouldn't pick them to beat the Packers, would you? At this no, point? no, no. I, I think really I think good. they're looking to go. They're they're looking like they'll be four and five after the after yeah. the uh, the Packers game. Can you split with the Raiders? That's going to be key. Can you right? I mean, they and might need to sweep them. Even splitting the Raiders, man, that's that's that puts you at. Because here's the thing, I I'm kind of to a point where I don't think they can beat the Packers, the Cowboys, or the Chargers. Where where are all those games? Packers, Cowboys are at home. The Chargers ones on the road. I'll give them one and two in that. If they can go one and two, they they might be okay because at that point you only need two more wins between both Raiders games and at Cincinnati. Because I'm I'm giving them right now because if they don't beat the Broncos or the Giants, they're not a good they're not a playoff team anyway. So now the Broncos could turn out to be one of those are you kidding me type games. But let's just say they beat the Broncos. I'm trying to find seven wins right now. If you sweep the Broncos and you sweep the or and you beat the Giants, that is three wins. Three. You need seven. Um, give me one and two in that stretch of, of really tough games. That's four. And then you'd need three more between... Raiders twice, Steelers, and the Bengals. Yeah, I think... Who man. I, two at home, I think two the, on the, road. the most winnable of those are the Steelers because Big Ben is so bad. Agreed. Um, then you still got to go two and one between... Las Vegas twice and at Cincinnati. Honestly, what this might Man, come down to, that's tough. you play, so Denver's the final game on the road on week 18. Week 17, you're at Cincinnati. This might come down to that game at Cincinnati, which given how good the Bengals were in that game against the Ravens and how good they've been this season, yeah. that's uh, not a fun task. That's Yeah, and, and I mean, you, you're, you're going into an environment at that point where the Bengals could be playing for the division at that point. Yeah, like they might at that point be 8-7. and seven. The Chiefs? Yeah, heading yeah. into that game. Yeah, yeah. And they and and you could be going into a situation where Cincinnati is is so juiced because if they win that might clinch them a playoff spot or even clinch them in the division, so they'll be juiced going into it. Um, I do think the Raiders, uh, the Bengals, and the Steelers. Well, I think the Bengals and the Steel and the uh, Raiders. I mean, those two teams have some, and that's three games between those two teams. I think they each have some bust potential. I think the Raiders are much more what they were under John Gruden than this kind of resurgence they've had since he, you know, kicked rocks. Um, Not so literally, but yeah. I, I think they have, um, I think they have uh, bust potential. So I could see the end of the year coming and us going. Well, of course they swept the Raiders. The Raiders were terrible. I could see that happening, but I'm not. I look. I don't sit. I'm not sitting here comfortably saying they'll go seven and three no. and i was trying to pull up and and my phone doesn't work great in the studio i was trying to pull up their schedule um after they started one and five in 2015 and peeled off 10 in a row i know it kind of started in london where they absolutely rolled the uh lions um oddly enough they beat the the broncos who won the super bowl that year they beat the broncos on the road when they were still trying to figure themselves out um but they, 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 I think it started with that huge win over Detroit. I was actually London. second win. Okay, what was the first win was against the Steelers with Landry Jones. With Landry Jones. Wasn't it like 18-13 or something? 23-13. Okay. 
And then you had the Lions blow out 45-10. to You had the Broncos win 29-13, Chargers 33-3, Bills 30-22. to I don't remember that being a good Bills team. I, I just, I'm, just I don't think anybody on that schedule was that was that good. And that's the issue this year. I mean, because, the, I'll say this: I I haven't looked at the Cowboys' schedule this year. How much is their record padded by the fact that they've played other NFC East teams? Well, I I do remember at the time when they, I, I mean, they beat the Chargers. I know that. And that's okay, well, that's a, really a good, good win. win. Um, when they beat the Panthers, it was like, oh, they beat a three and zero Panthers team. Uh, but that doesn't look as good. And then. The other wins, the Giants and the Eagles, who aren't good, but they blew them both out. They won by 20-plus. Yeah, they won games. how you're supposed to. Patriots, was they probably shouldn't have won that game, um, but also they almost beat the Buccaneers. Cincinnati so. has – the interesting thing about the Bengals is they have they have a game – like, I'm trying to think, was it the – who they almost lose to? There's a really bad team. Vikings in week one, but Vikings are, are, are I thought okay. there was a um, bad – they no, they did lose was it to the, the Bears. No, was it? It wasn't the Jets, was it? No, the uh, Titans lost to the Jets. Okay, maybe it's the Bears. But they did lose to the Bears. Yeah. I thought there was a game where the the Bengals. I just thought it was interesting that the Bengals had a game you could argue they should have lost against a bad team, and on the other side of that same coin, they have a game they probably should have won against the Packers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. This is where I'm at with this. If they can win. One of the three games between the Packers, the Cowboys, and at L.A., at the Chargers. And If you win one of those three, I think you're going to be okay. If not, I think you're out. And I'm kind of done with the whole – well, I I, I would add that I think think they – and I think they will, but I think they have to go one and two in that that difficult one. Because if you figure that, if they don't go at least one and two against those three really difficult teams, then they're going to have to go seven and oh against the others. And those are, and right now they've beaten what? How their wins have been against two or two NFC East teams and a Browns team that, granted, was probably a playoff contender when healthy. Those are their three wins, and you know, so that um, I don't know where I was going with that, but I just I think that I don't know they they I think they have to go at least one and two in that stretch of really really tough games. Yeah. Um, I think that puts and, you and, in the dance. Oh, this is what I was going to say. I, I think you, I'm so like I, I'm basically done with the boy if they just stop turning the ball over because they haven't stopped turning the ball over. That's just who they are. I think in that's maddening. Yep. All right. That's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.